Escape Pod 121 August 30th, 2007 Today's story, The Snow Woman's Daughter, by U.G. Foster. Hello, I'm Steve Ely, and welcome to the 11th Squared episode of Escape Pod. This week we have a fairy tale inspired by Japanese folklore. This is likely to be one of the last pure fantasy pieces that Escape Pod runs, and let's talk about that. Many moons ago, I started floating the question of whether Escape Pod should spin off its fantasy content into a separate podcast. The idea here was that, while much of our audience digs both fantasy and SF, there are some people with a tolerance only for one or the other. With two podcasts, everyone can get just what they want, and people who like both can subscribe to both feeds and get twice the fiction each week. The success of Pseudopod, our horror podcast, has shown that the Escape Pod model isn't just a fluke. This really is a good way to build audiences for good stories. So, we've been working on it. And it's taken a while, and still is. We've had budget crunches, a new podcast increases all of our costs, and picking the right team has been critical. We're still nailing some things down, but we are ready to tell you about it. It's with great pleasure that I announce the new Escape Artists Fantasy Podcast, Podcastle. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-L-E at the URL podcastle.org. I want to give thanks to Rhonda Waters, who was the first person to suggest it in our naming contest earlier this year. Our senior editor at Podcastle is Rachel Swirsky, who goes by Palimpsest in our forums. She's wonderfully sharp and opinionated, and really knows her fantasy. And we'll be getting design, production, and show host support from Justin Staley, Summer Brooks, and several others. We're planning to launch in October. I won't say just when in October, so I can't be made a liar, but I can tell you our first story is an amazing piece by Peter S. Beagle, and it only gets better from there. The guidelines are up at the site, so from now on, please send your fantasy stories to the Podcastle team. In the meantime, you'll continue to see a few more magical pieces at Escape Pod as we run through our inventory, and of course, you know my opinion about defining genres too narrowly, so who knows what the future will hold. This week's story is The Snow Woman's Daughter by Yuji Foster. Ms. Foster is a neighbor of mine in Atlanta, and she's appeared on Escape Pod and Pseudopod several times, with such diverse pieces as The Life and Times of Penguin and My Friend is a Lesbian Zombie. She's the managing editor of Tangent, the SF short fiction review magazine, and also the editor of the Dragon Con newsletter, The Daily Dragon. As it happens, I'm producing The Daily Dragon podcast this weekend at dailydragon.org, so I'll be working for her. If you're at DragonCon, it's a great way to keep up with the con. The story is read for us by Cunning Minx of the Polyamory Weekly Podcast. This is my favorite podcast about relationships and communication. If you love one person, more than one person, or yourself, you'll probably learn something at polyweekly.com. Coincidentally, Minx is also helping me produce the Daily Dragon Podcast for Yuji at dailydragon.org. Yes, it's a very incestuous DragonCon episode this week. So dress warmly and tell your mother you love her. It's story time. The Snow Woman's Daughter by Yuji Foster When I was a little girl, I thought my mother's name was Yuki, which means snow. That was part of her name, but I didn't learn the rest of it until the night my father died. 
My mother left us on a slate-gray evening when I was five, with her namesake falling from the sky and piled high around the windows and doors. Awakened by raised voices, I watched through a tear in the curtain that shielded my sleeping mat as my mother wrapped her limbs in a shining white kimono. As far back as I could remember, she had always worn the dark wool shifts that all mountain people wear, spun from the hair of the half-mad goats that give us milk and cheese. In her kimono, she looked like a princess or a queen. Her skin was paler than mine, and I am thought quite fair. Roku, the boy who lived on the northern crest, used to tease me when we were little, calling me ghost girl and milk face. That night, my mother was so white, it was as if a candle shone within her breast. It made my eyes crinkle as I squinted through the thick cloth. I saw her come toward me, and I scrambled to return to my mat. She wasn't fooled, but then she'd never been deceived by my tricks. Seka, she said, I am going away. I sat up, dropping my pretense. Where are you going, Mama? I am returning home. Your father broke a promise to me. Through the swept back curtain, I saw father huddled miserably by the fire. When are you coming back? Never. The finality of her reply stunned me. But if you need me, she continued, call my real name three times and I will come for you. Your real name? Your father will tell you what it is. Her arms were cool as they embraced me. Soothing and restful when I was sick with the fever, now they chilled me through. She pulled away from me, and I began to cry. I trailed after her, frightened and cold. Through my tears, I watched her open the door of our house, dressed only in the thin white silk of her kimono. The breath of winter rushed in, sucking away the cozy warmth of our hearth fire. She stepped into the snowstorm raging outside. I wanted to run after her, but father caught me up in his arms, and we both watched my mother walk away, melting into the whiteness of the falling snow. I asked him that night what my mother's real name was, as I intended to call her back immediately, but he didn't tell me. I asked him every year on the anniversary of that night until I was 16. He would not relent, and eventually the worries and uncertainties of a maiden approaching womanhood overshadowed family mysteries. Most pressing of these was Roku. Somehow, between rambling trips together to the market and snowball fights among the trees, he'd become more than the brat who tugged on my braids and poured ice water over my head. My heart tripped and fluttered when our fingers brushed together, and heat filled my cheeks when he remarked upon the ribbon I'd sewn to my skirt. The intervening years had not been good to my father, though. He'd withered from a strong, healthy figure to a feeble shadow, a wraith of a man. He merely blinked when Roku came one day, bearing a sprig of wild honeysuckle, and asked to wed me. It was as though the betrothal of his only daughter was of no more consequence than a discussion of the weather. I'd always assumed I would marry, but it had been a distant eventuality. Now I was as bewildered as if I had woken on a December morning to discover summer skies and the snow all melted away. How could I leave my father, our home, and become a wife and mother? After Roku left, my father slumped in his chair before the fire. He pointed at Roku's engagement bracelet, heavy on my wrist, and said, There drops my last excuse. 
The day I've always dreaded, when I must lose you too, is nearly arrived. So tonight, I will tell you your mother's real name. Forgetting my trepidation about my impending marriage, I sat at my father's feet, waiting. When I was a boy, he began, I was apprenticed to the woodcutter, Mosaku. One evening, we were out in the forest chopping logs, and a sudden blizzard overtook us. We ran into a tiny cave for shelter and prayed for the storm to end. Musaku fell asleep. Eventually, I drifted off, too, and I dreamed. In my dream, I saw a beautiful woman. Her kimono was made of ice crystals, and it glistened on her body like a sheet of diamonds. Her face was like the moon, cool and impassive, and her eyes flashed like sunlight on the snow. She bent over Musaku and breathed out white smoke. It covered my old master, sheathing him in a layer of spangled silver. Turning from him, her eyes fell upon me. I wanted to shout, cry out, but I was dazed by fear. I watched her walk to me, each footstep as graceful as a dancer's. She leaned close to my face, and I was sure I was going to die. I had intended to kiss you as well, she said in a voice as smooth and flawless as a pane of ice. But you are so handsome, with your wide eyes and strong shoulders. I will spare you, but you must promise never to speak of me. If you even whisper of so much as the hem of my kimono, I will know it, and I will return to blow my kiss of everlasting sleep over you. Do you promise? I nodded, and she was gone. I startled awake and saw poor Musaku quite dead. By then the snowstorm had stopped and I fled home. Everyone asked me what had happened, and I told them we had been caught in the snow. I did not mention my dream of the white maiden with her breath of frost. The next year, I met your mother at the winter festival. She said her parents had died and she was looking for work as a servant girl, but her hands were far too pale and soft for the harsh work of a washerwoman. I invited her to be my wife, for I had fallen in love with her quiet voice and laughing eyes. She agreed, and the next week, we wed. Of course, she was the snow maiden in disguise. At first, I did not recognize her without her white kimono, but the chill of her arms and the pallor of her skin, who else could she be? I remembered my promise to her, and for six years I said nothing. Then one night, as she was sewing a torn shirt for me, I saw her in the firelight, and her skin was whiter than lilies, and her eyes danced brighter than the flames. I was overwhelmed by love for her and could not believe how fortunate I was. How could someone as beautiful, as elegant as she, love a common woodcutter like me? In my stupid insecurity, I asked her, Do you ever regret sparing me that night in the cave? I had not expected her to react so harshly. She flung down her sewing. You promised never to speak of so much as the hem of my kimono, she shouted. You broke your promise. I should kill you for that, but for the sake of Sekka, I will spare you. I was frightened by the terrible look in those eyes that had always been so full of laughter. Don't you love me, I whispered. Didn't I show you how I loved you by sparing your life? Didn't I prove my love by coming to you in this mortal guise? Have I ever given you reason to doubt my love when I held you in my arms, cared for your house, and bore you a daughter? So why now do you question my devotion? 
I had nothing to say to that, so she donned her white kimono and left us. I've mourned her ever since. I hoped she would forgive me and return to us, but she never has. I was afraid to tell you her real name for fear she would take you away, leaving me alone. Now I'm dying, and it doesn't matter anymore. Your mother's name is Yuki Hime Kami, the Snow Spirit. The moment his mouth finished shaping those words, he drooped forward and died. I wrapped his body in a blanket and laid him on his sleeping mat. My father had lived so long with a shattered heart. In all that time had mother even thought of us. Had she ever loved us? I spoke her name. Mother, Yuki Himekami, I cried. Yuki Himekami, Yuki Himekami! The fire's light turned from orange-red to a cold, lifeless blue. It crackled and sang, not with a snap of burning wood, but with the sharpness of ice warmed by sunlight. White smoke gushed into the room from the chimney, and it was neither sooty nor hot but cold and smelled of the clean tang of fresh snow. She, my mother, stepped out of the smoke in her white kimono. While my father's face had become creased with age and strands of gray mingled freely with darker locks, she had not aged. She was as beautiful, as young, as the day she had left. My daughter, you have grown up. She held her arms wide for an embrace, but I did not go into them. I am eighteen years old, I said. Next week I am to be wed to Roku. She let her arms drop to her side. You say that as though you spoke of a funeral and not your own wedding. Don't you love him? I was angry then. Who are you to speak of love? Father loved you, and look at what happened to him. She gazed at my father's swaddled body, and a tear glittered in her eye. It fell and shattered to the floor a droplet of ice. I loved him too, my handsome woodcutter. It is why I had to leave. What do you mean? You left because of some silly promise. I left to save his life. I am a snow spirit, Seka. I am frigid death. I fell in love with your father, but by the laws of the winter gods, I had to kill him. So I hid and gave up my immortality, content in your father's love. But the moment he spoke of the night we met, the last night I was Yuki Himekami, the gods remembered me. I had to leave, or they would demand I kill him. Are you here to kill me now? I asked. Of course not. You are half snow spirit, Seka. You may come with me and live forever. I can show you winter caves where the sun dances from icicle to icicle, fragmenting into a rainbow prism, midnight pools cold and deep that shelter the bones of creatures so old their memories are no more than half-remembered stories, and the perfect silence of a snow-covered cliffside hovering on the verge of avalanche. These secrets I would share with you. And will you also teach me to kill men with my breath? Yes. My mother had the decency to lower her eyes. It is the price of immortality. We remain young and beautiful forever, free to go where we will, unrestrained by the laws of man. And truly, what else have you to look forward to? Growing withered and old, Roku's children growing in your belly, sucking away your life in toil and hardship. 
I thought of Roku with his silly, crooked mouth that quirked on one side when he laughed, and the way his eyes had been so eager and hopeful when he asked my father for my hand, lingering on my face for the smallest sign of encouragement. I thought of sitting at his hearth, listening to his voice telling me of his day as I mended a series of clothing, his, mine, our children's. And I imagined my hands growing gnarled and the light fading from my eyes as my children grew up around me. I choose life and love, mother, I said, for the price of immortality is more than murder. It's love. You cannot love. My mother smiled. You have chosen wisely, my daughter. Whatever it was I had expected, it had not been her blessing. She gazed at the stiffening shape of my father's body. But in one thing you are wrong. I can love. I never stopped loving him. I felt tears sear my eyes, and I was once again five years old. I went into her waiting arms no longer chilly with cold but warm and yielding. There was so much I wanted to tell her, awkward kisses in the forest with Roku, how the mere sound of my name from his lips made me smile with joy. All the vital moments of my life she had missed. She pulled away, and it was just like the last time thirteen years ago when she had untangled herself from my arms. Except this time she went to my father, instead of leaving him. She lifted his body as though he were made of paper or snowflakes. The door blew open, sending a spray of needle-sharp ice crystals flurrying inside. A winter storm, a blizzard, had sprung up as we talked. She carried him out into the whirling snow. As the world grew formless and indistinct in the storm, I watched as she became mist, fading into the soft whiteness that poured out of the sky. My father's body in her arms faded with her. Roku and I married and are happy together. We have ten plump children, and though all of them are fair like me, they are vibrant and alive with the hearty laugh of their father. I have no regrets, even though sometimes life has been hard. I have always had Roku standing beside me, and his warm arms hold me at night. He tells me every day how beautiful I am, even though my face is seamed with years and my back is bent. But in winter, sometimes, when the fire blazes high and hot, I peer out through the patina of frost on the window. Occasionally, I think I can see two figures, a man, tall and proud, with a woodcutter's breadth of shoulder, standing with a beautiful woman in a white kimono. And other times, all I can see is the whirl of snowflakes in the air. And that was our story. What would you choose? I know what I would choose, though maybe I wouldn't choose ten children. If I didn't say it enough times in the intro, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be at DragonCon this weekend here in Atlanta. I'll post my schedule to the blog. I'm on a couple of panels. I'll be doing the daily podcast with Minx. Once again, that's dailydragon.org. And I'll be at the Parsec Awards, where Escape Pod and Pseudopod are both nominated for excellence in SF podcasting. And if you'd like to share some good food and beer, we're also doing a listener meetup on Sunday at 1 p.m. at the Gordon Biersch Brew Pub. That's about a mile north from the con hotels. It's a good time to get away from the chaos of the rest of the con and have some fun conversation. If you're at Dragon Con, I hope I'll get to meet you there. If you're not at Dragon Con, I'm sorry I'll miss the fun. 
unless you're at the Worldcon in Japan this weekend, in which case I'm very, very jealous. Our story three weeks ago was Neil Asher's action story, The Veteran. This one got fairly light feedback, so I can be brief this week. If you forgot what it was about, Martin R. helpfully summarized it. Gangster's Maul steals his loot. She's saved from his cronies by Superman. The gangster suddenly also gets superpowers. A fairy sinks. The super gangster decides to let his ex-Maul live. The end. I don't think he liked it very much. The forum thread was largely devoted to discussing the morality of the piece, whether it was completely nihilistic, or whether the choices of some of the characters send a message about the value of human life. I don't think a conclusive answer was reached, and that's cool by me. Just as Martin summed up the plot, I think Nev the Deranged summed up the dilemma. Does absolute power always corrupt? Or does being able to do anything you want make it easier to figure out what that is? If I am someday gifted with inscrutable alien technology, I'll get back to you on that. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Yes, we're moving forward into the new 3.0 license era, for all the minor difference that makes. You can still share our stories freely, but you still can't sell them and you still can't change them. And all of the rights are still reserved by our authors. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend and consider donating so that we can continue to keep our authors fed. For more great fiction, please check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org, and buy our collectible CDs at poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quote is my favorite song lyric from Rush. We're only immortal for a limited time. We'll see you next week, or sooner if you're going to have that beer with me. Either way, have fun. <laughs>